This is Rebecca Lowe, or Rebecca Lua, if you listen to Suboptimal Radio, and you are listening to Men in Blazers on the NBC Sports Network. It's unbelievable! From the Embassy Row Studios in the crap part of Soho, we're together again, Rog. It's the Men in Blazers podcast. Hola, Davo. Hola, Rogelio. Oh. It's tingling, mate. I'm, I'm global. I'm international right now. Really? Why? Winter Olympics, mate. Oh, you love the Winter Olympics. Oh, all in on that ice skating. I know. You've been wearing your cardigan since about June. Chilly. Yeah. Chilly in South Korea. <laughs> I got vicarious chilly empathy. <laughs> Can, Can I tell you something? I did. Please. I bought a cardigan this you did? weekend. I'm going to wear it next week. It's a very different cardigan. I would, I would describe it as sporty. Oh, the mine. How would you describe mine? If you're going sporty, what are you saying about mine? Fuddy-duddy. It's cuddly. <laughs> yeah. it's cuddly. Old, old man chic. Oh, if you can't get cuddles, people, <laughs> wear a cardi. It's like cuddling yourself. Can I just say off the top? Yeah. Adam Rippon, you're a great American. I, I watch the ice skating. I watch it. I'll be honest. I watch it. Talking about cardigans. I watch the ice skating mostly for the outfits. And I do think, and if you haven't seen it, then Google it. The United States men's national team need to start wearing Adam Rippon's bodysuit for the Gold Cup. <laughs> tight. <laughs> yeah, tight. But sequins, Josie and sequins. Yeah. It's exactly what we need to do to re-endear the US men's soccer team in our nation's hearts because people love the ice skates. Re-endear? Did you just invent a verb? No. Isn't that not reindeer? It's from the 80s. <laughs> it's a reindeer. Men, That's go out the there original and, origin. Go out there and reindeer yourselves. <laughs> oh, By the way, have you watched the biathlon? Uh, no, but I was talking with my mate Joe last night about the biathlon. What it is the ultimate. Saying? It's the ultimate man event. You, you ski so. cross country and then you shoot things with a gun and then you then you race again. It's there is no more man event. You think than the biathlon? I can think of one. What? Well, first of all, what I don't understand about the biathlon is under whose jurisdiction was it decided that those two sports could be crushed together? You know, long distance skiing and say shooting. How did they decide those two just unilaterally combine into one sport? Because I'm sure in the wilds of Norway, yeah, up in the mountains that frame the fjords, yes, Rog, the I'm subject sure, of our other podcast, yeah, Nordic Life Today. I'm, I'm sure what life is like yeah. up there is you've got to cross-country ski, you've got to shoot a moose, and you've got to race back down with it. Yeah. <laughs> that's, what I mean, that's what I imagine is the origin of that sport. So, oh, I've got to say... If a more manly sport to me, to be candid, this is just me. This is, yeah. I want to be clear, this is subjective, not objective. Yeah. Subjective, not objective. If you like shoved stamina television football watching. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Bear with me. And eating chicken wings, for instance, <laughs> together into an Olympic sport. Roger Bennett, gold medal. Oh, living my best life. I mean, the origin of a lot of these sports is pretty, is pretty crazy. Of course, the biathlon's origin is in hunting. Like, a lot of sports' origin is in hunting, Rog. You've got, like, the modern pentathlon. In yeah. the, anything that ends with athlon yeah. uh, usually Cossacks has its... Cossacks used to do it, is what you're telling <laughs> yeah, me. Usually has its origin. Cossackathlon. But the origin of figure skating... When you say hunting, it chills odd. my heart. I've got to be honest. I'm thinking Cossacks, but go on. Figure skating is the one that makes me laugh, because I think of sort of medieval villagers on some lake frozen lake or pond in the 11th century yeah surfs and then there's just one dude who's doing a few little spins jumping up in the air <laughs> doing that thing where they put their legs wide and they just sort of go all the way around i laugh at the original medieval figure skaters yeah those are my people are you saying there was just one one visionary surf i know the surf with flair yeah exactly <laughs> I'm not, not going to wear a body suit. I'm not going to wear the horse sack. <laughs> I'm not going to bind my feet all winter in wrappings. Yeah. I just want to be the real me. I want to yeah. wear a tight yeah. outfit and so sequins yeah. under whoever you were. Yeah. Medieval surf yeah. with flair. I've I got call, to say, I call this you. one the Salco. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Rog, big news. Men in blazers. <sighs> Biggest news. What is it? I don't really You're know. the one. Did, 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 did. You're the one with the Men in Blazers news always. February 26th. Yeah. 5.30 p.m. Not already. It's only the 12th, I think. The Olympics is over. Yeah. And NBC Sports moved from an aspirational Olympic channel yeah. delivering the world's best in frigid conditions <laughs> to just throw up any old crap. The Men in Blazers show returns. We're also, by the way... Taping two specials while the Olympics is going on. We're taping one with Lord Arlo White, who's going to come into the panic room and just genuinely middle England it up with us. And we're also doing knee yeah. deep in a 
show special, special, special 1992-1993 season, the first Premier League season, David. Yeah. We're going to trace the entire birth of the Premier League by reliving week by week that entire first season. I can say there's a lot of baggy shorts, a lot of rather fantastic retro haircuts, and you love still there's mud on every every pitch. Oh, is just, I love mud. Just a proper I miss mud. English bog. It's excellent. We're hoping we're going to get uh, by container delivery yeah. floating across the Atlantic a huge amount of Betamax videos that have highlights of that season. We're going to be able to spool together <laughs> and live it but blow by blow. What, over the course America. of a year? We're going to do it in 30 minutes, mate. <laughs> 30. A week by week. We're going to relive it week by week in 30 minutes. God, this sounds like a lot of work. Okay, Roger, we should also note that we're podding right now. Right now, yeah. as you hear my voice, nope. it was right now. Nope and right now, podding right now. And right now was Monday before the Chelsea versus West Brom game. Um, thank God, by the way, before Chelsea God, lose Pardew 3 0. fantastic, right? <laughs> before. Just what an innovator he Ow. was. And should, we just pre- should we just make it out now? Because we both know what's going to happen. Well, it's one manager. That's the end of Antonio Conte. We can either eulogize Conte or we can eulogize Alan Pardew. We've eulogized Pardew so many times on this show. <laughs> It's funny, last night I had dinner with Steve Parrish, who's uh, just flown into town. And Crystal Palace owner Steve Parrish. And he, he reminded me that his last game of the season is against West Brom. What an epic, epic final day of the season game. Crystal Palace, West Brom could be him versus his mate, Alan Pardew, his former manager. Could be excellent. Oh, it'd be a great mid-table clash, that. <laughs> yeah, but well, let's hope. One for the ages. Other men in Blazers news. The merch yeah. continues to spew light out of a sewer. With a leak. 1877 Crap for Kids collection has just launched. It is a beautiful piece of work by GFOP Ian Hutchison, yeah. who has designed a Men in Blazers Cars for Kids inspired collaboration. It's not anything to do with them, it's more completely to do with us because we just wanted to honor the single thing in football that's even worse than we are. What's that, Rog? Cars for Kids. Oh, okay. And that eternal jingle, which apparently is what you hear in the bathrooms. It's going to get us sued. I can just feel it, I'll bring it on, mate. It would be the best thing for us. I should say that the reason we are podding before the Chelsea-West Brom game is because of another shoot we've got tomorrow with the GFOPs at Addy, Rog. Addy Death. In which we'll... (laughs) Adidas. Some guy recently said to my son, George, he said, he said, he's an English guy, and he said, you call it, you call it Adidas. He yeah. go, you don't say Adidas. And George says, no, I don't speak French. <laughs> um, in which we'll preview the new MLS kits with Adidas, Jersey Wizard, Zola Short. Stay tuned to our social for those, Rob. Oh, the LAFC jersey is quite tasty. Bob Bradley's an amazing designer. I'm all, That's all, I'm, I I'm all in with LAFC. You are? Yeah, I'm part of the celebrity I'm part of the... Uh, We're the only two people in football who don't own a piece of the club. I Actually, I might own a piece of the club through some other investments, but it's, it's a, I'm definitely a celebrity fan of LAFC. Oh, you are? Yeah. Oh. I mean, I also like NYCFC. Quite like the union. <laughs> <laughs> Quite like Toronto, because they won it. Yeah, I like a lot of teams. You, Still miss the fusion. You spread yourself around the MLS. Yeah, I know. Do spread it. <laughs> working very hard with my mate Bruce, by the way. He's just bought... He's got a franchise in Hartford coming. Been working on a name for the Hartford team. Rog. Yeah. What are the options? I'll tell you my favourite. Well, I can't tell you my favourite because it, it, it'll, it'll, it'll spoil the whole thing. Just but it, it will not be called Hartford FC. Rog. Oh, can, we, can we have a competition and Bruce has to use our winner? No. Because that's like that competition when they did the competition in Britain to, yeah. to name a new Navy frigate. Yeah. And the winning uh, one which Boaty they were committed to use was Boaty McBoatface. <laughs> yeah. So I think that would be a bad idea. You think? Yeah. I'll Boat- tell you off air. We've come up with a Boaty really good McBoatface is better than City <laughs> or FC. It won't be City or FC. Okay. It won't be either of those. Okay, Rog, we've got a packed show. We're going to break down Spurs' 1-0 victory over Arsenal in a North London derby with the least surprising goal scorer of all time. We're going to pick our jaws up off the floor after KDB and Aguero what? went all Sydney Dean and Billy Hoyle in City's 5-1 win over Leicester. And we debate the over-under on ales consumed by the true Geordie after Newcastle United's 1-0 upset of Manchester United plus US Soccer's new president. Oh, is it Hope Silver? I don't think it is, The Rog. suspense is killing me. I can't wait to get to that part Like of the you show. haven't been following it <laughs> beat by beat all weekend, Rog. Okay, oh, Rog, to the football. To the football, mate. Oh, I'm going to open up this beer and pour it into... Which mug is this? Oh, it's the Bilf mug. Oh. <laughs> Bilf life. <laughs> oh, my Bilf life mug. Manchester City, you may have sewn up the title. 
And that bottom of the table relegation battle, I'd say it's getting a lot of the, the hipster love in a weekend which, yeah, Newcastle won, Huddersfield won, Swansea won. But I want to raise this glass, Dave, this Bill Fife glass. Why don't I have a Bill Fife mug? You've got a Living the Nightmare mug. But why don't I, I have, have the Bill Fife? Isn't uh, Bill Fife named after me? Uh, it was named after Pep, mate. Okay, good. But yeah, you're the English Pep. It was named after Pep, mate. Sorry. I want to raise this to the battle for second, third, fourth place, which is just as hauntingly riveting in my book. No team, perfect. All have emphatic strengths. All, almost like they're human beings, Dave. They've got flaws from which they can never escape. Football being a game of decisions, the run-in is going to be fascinating to watch how those decisions are played out in ever more hysterical conditions. And my God, Premier League, you make us feel alive. I raise my glass to all. And I wish Everton was amongst you, but we're not. Basically, you're toasting, looking forward to us overreacting over every single one of those decisions <laughs> being made. Let's start overreacting immediately. Tottenham 1, Arsenal nil. a seismic battle in the race for the top four. Fought on North London's footballing fault line. Whoa, that's a lot of alliteration, Jonathan. The game's lone goal came from Harry Kane, who rose like a haddock out of the North Sea to head home a sumptuous Ben Davis. No relation ball. The win moves Tottenham to fourth place at the time of recording, seven points ahead of their <sighs> new look North London rival. Oh, after bullying Everton, Arsenal marched into Wembley with their new shiny toys, Mickey and Uber. They, they really felt like that greased up Tongan flag bearer they were so confident before this game. How would they do though? Against, you know, a real football team, not Everton, Davo. We didn't have too long to find out. I will say there was an incredible atmosphere ahead of this game at Wembley. So often devoid of noise, 83,000 plus in it. It felt like the fighting pits of Marine. And the game, it really warranted the stage. Yeah, my Spurs mates told me it's the best atmosphere that they've experienced at Wembley uh, since they've been going there. And I think that played out. But I must say, early doors, thought Arsenal started quite well. They did. They had all of that speed, Dave. They were fast. They were pacey. Spurs, though, so robust, cohesive, willing to throw men forward in numbers. They were like a machine in which all the parts knew their places, their roles. Arsenal with so many new components. They didn't. They lay back. They were poised to charge forward. Yeah, tantalizingly fast. Both sides probing looking for strengths and weaknesses or more technically strengths and Mustafis without ever truly working the goalkeeper. And even when Harry Kane had that header unmarked from Raz Sterling range, he put it over the bar, Davo, but it's, that, that felt ominous in the moment, right? Yeah, it did feel ominous. Half-time, though, major adjustments by both teams. Major adjustment, Tottenham. They decide to switch up their game plan. Arsenal make the major decision to do nothing. They just came out harder, yeah. faster, stronger, with more resolve, it paid off immediately. And that Kane first half miss, Dave, rather like the, the penalty miss the week before, after which, you remember, he walked off the field at the final whistle and smiled at the camera and said, you can't give me two chances. Yeah. Arsenal did. They gave him a second chance, almost identical. Spurs upping their intensity. Arsenal couldn't live with it. Ben Davis yeah. swung in a peach of a cross. I should say I do have a relation named Ben Davis, but it's not the one who, who swung in the sumptuous cross. Um, what, what does your Ben, not a lesser Ben Davis, but your Ben Davis, what does he do? He's a farmer, actually. He he's a farmer. Um, yeah. A peach farmer. No, I think he, he's, he's farmed all over the world. He lived in Botswana for a while. He's an amazing, amazing guy, Ben. And I'm sure, by the way, he was a very, very good athlete when he was younger. Could have probably ended up playing Premier League football, didn't, chose farming instead. Tottenham, they like to yeah. have. They do like to stockpile same-name players, David. Kyle I'll Walker, Kyle Walker-Peters. Ben, send... ben Davis, the <laughs> farmer, turned his name to Ben Davis-Peters. He could be in oh, there that's slinging. Yeah, I'm gonna, I'll send him a note and see if he wants to go and play. I bet you if he stepped in, Ben Davis-Peters, they'd yeah. get rid of Ben Davis in a heartbeat. They might do. He'd be part of the matchday squad, but it was a peach of a cross. And who rose up, David? He didn't just rise up. He rose up so early, Harry Kane. He rose up early and then froze himself in the air. He just held himself. He may be Jesus, Rog. He may be Jesus. That's for he, our other pod, Modern Theology Proof of Life he may today. Be Jesus. He held himself up there and seemed to float in the air for he about did. four and a half seconds. He posterized Koscielny, yeah. is what he did. It was like watching Vince Carter end Frederick Weiss. I mean, Harry Kane, English Greek freak. Seventh goal in seven games against Arsenal, which a reminder is Harry Kane doesn't just score goals, oodles of them, but he scores massive goals in massive games. 
I cannot underline for the thousandth time over the past four seasons how un-English all of this is for us. We, we've got, we can't normalise Harry. We cannot normalise Harry Kane. Well, though, it is the English... It's English superhero stuff. This is the English written about in Roy of the Rovers. Like, the cartoons yeah, we the grew cartoon up, we grew up, we grew in, up watching. In the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, cartoons of mythical Englishmen, yeah. British people, hot yeah. shot Hamish, who scored unbelievable goals the Scotsman and crucial used goals. to break the net. Yeah, he hit like it so hard. <laughs> Harry Kane is in that ether, though. Harry Kane is like a comic strip English person. So it is. it fits into an English... Sort of trope, but it it's, fits a into an English, one. Those, it's a mythical one. The mythical. No, exactly. They were not real. Harry like, Kane is real. His consistency like Jesus, is real. Rog. His dominance is real. <laughs> Look, Jesus is real. But it, it is he. He is doing superhero. No he's doing. Chase is awesome. Yeah. He's doing superhero stuff, which is in a very English superhero narrative way. So it, it fits in. He's not like a Spanish player or a German player. He's doing it. He's doing the English myth. Brilliantly, yes, consistency but, but for real, <laughs> dominance, confidence. We, we don't go in for those qualities, David. Yeah. We haven't in the post-war period. And I say the one thing that stood out for me again this weekend: Harry Kane's ability to compartmentalise. We English, we love to moan, we love to dwell on the dark side, we love to see the negative. He banishes the negative. He has a first-half miss. Many footballers would be weighed down by that. He shrugs it off. He seals it off. The negativity born of a recent failure does not exist in Harry Kane's mind. It's almost Nick Foles-esque. It's the next chance. It's the next chance. It's the next chance. And on this day, I just, I admired it humanly so remarkably. There is something, his post-match interview for me was so striking, not because of the content, not because of what he says, but his calmness. And it's not the footballer doing the post-match presser when he just takes out all those lines that they've gone, even though the press office very, very clearly got to him right after the game and said, seven points out of the last three, seven points out of the last three, seven points out of the last three. You played all the big teams. You came out of it with seven points. He'd done very, very well. He like knows how to do a line, but he's so real and authentic. He's so in touch with himself, Rog. He's not trying to be anyone else. He's not fronting. He's not hiding behind anything. He's just a very, very genuine human being. He's a genuine superhero, Rog. An English superhero for our ages, Dave. Yeah. Black Panther. Black yeah. Panther team. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That could be him. Oh. Question then was, how would Arsenal respond to their first true punch on the chin with their new fangled lineups? And sadly, they reacted with almost all of the, the familiar, almost cliched troops of old Arsenal. Yeah, starting with uh, Arsene motions that there was a push in the back, even though he later retracted it, which has never happened before. But he did start with there was a push in the back trying to get the goal disallowed. And then Arsenal just... Profligate, wasteful. Surrender, no real evidence of leadership. For all those forward options, the ability to replace Mkhitaryan with Lacazette, oh. that backline, it just remains the same old kind of avant-garde crumbling mush, buckling time and time again without discipline, without fight. They couldn't contain Dembele. Chance after chance fell to Spurs. Delhi missed a stunning opportunity oh to kill the game. Wonder what his mind's on at the moment, Davo. Lamella missed an equally guilt edge gift. Check actually had a throwback stellar performance as those around him seemed to fold. But as Spurs spurned chance after chance, the more it went on, the more you kind of felt, in the words of GFOP at the best smart, if we've learned anything from horror movies, it's that you've got to kill the bad guy when you can. Don't just walk away and assume he died. Arsenal, they only needed one look at goal, Davo. And as it turned out, they had two, arguably three. The majority of them falling to Lacazette. 90th that, minute. Oh, that first one, Rog, he just, he gets into that position. <sighs> Bellerin, great ball in. Oh, my word. Unmarked. Cometh the hour, cometh the man, or le homme. Yeah. In your slow French, Davo. Oh, I love my slow French. Oh, and the Frenchman just simply shorn of confidence and belief. Don't know how you say that in slow French, Davo. Yeah. Do you? Uh, de confiance et uh, belief. Le belief. Uh, well, the verb is, uh, yeah, what, I have no idea. <laughs> he had his body shape. <laughs> oh, <laughs> it's very slow, French. He had his body shape just totally wrong. $65 million of nerves. He leaned back, skied the ball, Elon Musk, Falcon Heavy Rocket style. But it wasn't over for him, because deep into injury time, the second chance, one-on-one day, both Spurs' back line finally switches off. When he just shanks it wide, Rod. Well, it's not a shank, really. He just he just overpulls it. Oh, agonizingly wide. The wrong side of the post. Lacazette, worse than Omarosa. And poor Arsene Wenger. 
on the sideline, reeling away in agony with his hands in front of his face, unable to prevent a primal scream. I sold the wrong Frenchman. I sold the (laughs) wrong Frenchman. It was like watching Edward Munch's The Scream lived out. It was. It was just like that. You posted that, didn't you? It was was clever. It was even more painful though, Dave. The torture, the acid burning his insides. I read about The Scream and why Munch wrote it. And he said he was going on a walk when the sun was setting. And he wrote, I stood there trembling with anxiety and I sensed an infinite scream passing through nature. And that was Wenger in that moment, Dave. An infinite scream passing through nature. I love that painting. I remember studying that in college and I remember reading that same thing and just didn't understand it whatsoever, but still love the painting. Just couldn't relate in any way. Unlike you, I'm sure you relate incredibly. But similarly, I just can't relate to Arsenal. Arsenal... This was an Arsenal. Let's talk. Let's break down the reason for that pain. It wasn't. This was more than just a loss in the North London derby. Arsenal were meant to be back, Rog. Arsenal were back. The narrative on Arsenal had completely flipped after Mkhitaryan and Aubameyang had come in and were playing together. Arsenal were back. We're back now. We're, we beat up Everton. <laughs> yeah, we duffed them right up. We yeah, did. We're, oh, we're coming in Tottenham. They're no terrified. One can live with us. They're terrified of us right now. And Arsenal were meant to be back. And the narrative has all of a sudden flipped. And Arsenal must know, even in their one-team league of just playing with themselves, they must know where they are versus their North London rivals right yeah, now. Yeah, but that is, I mean, that is the fascinating question. There's such a gap in quality on this day, which made me realise if that Lacazette shot had gone in, how harsh that would have been nice on Spurs. I mean, my, my Arsenal-loving mate Michael Cohen even admitted after the game, he said Spurs should have won this game by four or five but those feeble gaffes at the end, the Lacazette gaffes, they almost only threw more salt in the agony of defeat for Arsenal. And the big headline is, what you're hinting at, they remain as they were, defensively suspect, weak in the middle. Mkhitaryan seemed more shell-shocked in a big game. I mean, it was, it, this was First World War infantrymen in a trench shell-shock. And the big new hope, that the, the new and lavish attack, perhaps they used up all their goals against Everton, Dave, because it failed them. In the Crucible, they are now seven points off fourth place. Is top four over? Is it Europa League win or bust for this team? No, it's not at all over. I mean, seven points at this stage of the season is, is nothing. The problem is, is the number of teams that sit above them. Is that It's like in a golf tournament, if you're trying to get up to first, you might only be you know, eight shots out of, out of contending. But if there are so many players above you, it's very, very hard to go, to, to go and get up there. So it's the number of teams they've got up there a lot of these teams are all going to take points off each other. It's going to be tough for them, not impossible. I do think they stand a very good chance in the Europa League. I think that they could win that, and I think that is their best chance right now of making Champions League. Especially now, favourite to Everton are out. But yeah. the gap in quality on this day, though, I mean, coupled with the direction these two clubs are headed in behind the scenes, did make me think, and you throw in Arsenal's dismal away record this season, what is it, 13 points off 14 games, you do start to wonder, are Arsenal still a top four peer right now? A couple of seasons in, two seasons of wobbling. Is St. Totteringham's Day in danger of being consigned to like those things like VHS tapes, payphones, compact discs, cassette tapes, Sunderland Football Club that we're going to have to explain to our grandkids? Like when I tell my kids how I met my wife and how the, the night we got together, we like exchanged voicemails on each other's phones as we moved around bars in Washington, D.C., trying to find each other, trying to explain to my kids that you once had to just leave voice messages on each other's voicemail to let people know where you were. I can imagine in about 20 years, a world in which like grandparents sit down with their grandkids and say, you know, you see, son, there used to be this thing called St. Totteringham's Day. And the kid will just look at you and be like, I can't believe that. that I can't believe you're talking about voicemail. See, I talked to my kids about before (laughs) answering machines. (laughs) Before answering machines. They, they, they just cannot conceive of how, at university, where I had no answering machine, how, how I ever made any plans How to did do you ever anything. get laid? How did you ever get laid without, without, without an answering phone? machine? Yeah, what without are you such, suggesting? I don't... <laughs> um, um, that's an incredible fetish, an answering machine fetish. That's on my other podcast, <laughs> Yesterday's Technology you Today. so many of them. Spurs now travel to Juventus for Tuesday's Champions League clash. Mm. In the midst of Pochettino's favourite part of the season, the grind when their extra training allows them to strain as others wilt. I'll say about Spurs, I did enjoy all the journalists in South Korea at the Olympics watching the game 
from South Korea and recognising that how fanatical the South Koreans are about Song Hung Min. When Spurs aren't playing, the television is just full of documentaries about his life. And when they are playing, you know in the scoreboard where it says Spurs Arsenal, they don't show the Spurs logo. They just have a huge son for where Spurs are instead of the, the logo corner, just son's head floating there. It would be like US television, and I think we should do this. I'm going to try and start a channel on NBC where we only show Stoke City games and replace the Stoke City logo with Jeff Cameron's head floating in the corner of the screen, Dave. It would be amazing television. I welcome the future. You didn't make the team this weekend, Rog. Uh, okay, uh, moving on. Uh, Tottenham 1, Arsenal 0. Great result. It got a lot of the ink, but the reality of the Premier League, Rog, is much more about this game. Man City 5, Leicester won a breathtaking performance by the avant-garde duo of orchestral conductor KDB Rog and smash-and-grab MC Sergio Aguero. Four second-half goals from Aguero and three absurd assists from Kev. I mean, City need just six wins from their final 11 games to clinch the title. They won't need that many because it's like not everybody else is going to win everything. City, Cruz, early, often, KDB dishing assists so scintillating that even Raz, yes, even Raz, couldn't miss from close range. Aguero, though, stole the headlines with his foursome fourth straight season. This is astonishing with 20 or more goals. That is Harry Kane-esque consistency for Cooney. Four goals in this one, his third hat-trick of the season. This was a man who we were starting to eulogise in the Gabriel Jesus era. Two goals coming off Kasper Schmeichel-Howler. Schmeichel had what's known in the trade as, quote, a minule of a game. And I don't know what beef there is between Kun Aguero and the Danish keeper. But that fourth goal, he hit it so hard at Kasper. It was Wanyama hard. I swear that he tried to kill the man. Yeah, it's a shame. Schmeichel, of course, grew up at Man City. That's where he played his football as a kid and, uh, and began his career. How rare, though, to see a hat-trick scorer not be the best player on the winning team, Rog? He wasn't their best player. KDB, you had his assists <sighs> outshone. I'm not just a hat-trick. He had four, Rog. KDB had those three assists and he was the best player on the park by a mile. Because he's the brains of the City operation. He's the brains of the entire football, Roger. The way he opens up his body to dissect the Leicester defence, casually taking out four or five defenders at whim with his surging confidence. I'd love to know what he sees, David. What he sees. You wouldn't understand it, Roger. It would be like seeing, it would be trying to get inside an alien mind that you wouldn't understand. Do you think if I asked him, he'd say, I can't tell you, it will kill you. He would kill me. Kill me now, KDB. Come on my show. Listen to me. KDB, come on our show and explain to me. Even if it kills me, I would love to know just wisdom even for one second before death. (sighs) He'd be like those giant squid in Arrival, Roger. He'd be just like, he'd be throwing sort of ink shapes. (laughs) that you wouldn't be able to interpret what they'd mean. It would be a combination of feelings and words and thoughts and visions that would be projected onto glass from his inky squid yeah. alien fingers. Oh, and it. you just wouldn't understand but it. Would you still have you seen Arrival? Because yeah. if you haven't, you'd be yeah, very no, confused no, no, by no. that. No, 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 I'm totally okay. into it. T- by the way, I'm so into it. I need to know, will you feed me? Will yeah. you keep, when my brain is gone, but my body is still, will you look after me? Will you put me in the corner of your office and just clean me up occasionally? Which one of us is going to go completely senile first? It's got to be me. I'm older than you. I so the, the odds I, are on me. I think arguably you can make I've been the case. Hit, I've been hitting the head more. Arguably you can make the case that we both did in 2010 <laughs> when, we started, when, we, when we started doing this. <laughs> that this, this, entire, this entire brand yeah. is basically just, an expression of our senility. It's just two grown We've men lost it. wearing adult diapers in a sandbox. <laughs> one in a cardigan and the other one in a sweatshirt. <laughs> Oh dear, poor J Dubs. Oh, life J Dubs has been very silent. He's just looking there, going. Mm-hmm. Was it was it Auden that said life is slow dying? It's what this podcast's all about. One thing about KDB though, he's yeah. so clinical, so spectacular, so remarkable. It's always becoming boring. I mean, my get my game notes record that the City season end of DVD is just going to be one orgasm after another. Well, that's it's exhausting. The, I think that's the series that Amazon are making. That's exhausting, mate. <laughs> it's exa- but like just orgasm over and over again. That was like KDB's passes. Is this going to be? It's just the exhausting most, to watch. It's going to be the most boring film of all time. Yeah, it's going to be too many titillating high points. Th- there's no moment at which there's been any doubt. Like where is the? And then after the draw against 
Everton. Like, how are you gonna how are you gonna make a narrative yeah, out of that season? Yeah, existential fear kicked in. It's oh, gonna no. be like it, it's gonna be like a who's it? Riefenstahl. Who is yeah. the, yeah. the Lenny Riefenstahl? Lenny Riefenstahl. It's gonna be like a great piece of German yeah. propaganda from the 1930s. City it's just strolled be, up Everest. <laughs> yeah, it's just gonna be a march. It's just gonna be a march to victory. Yeah. And then said, "Let's climb K2 in the afternoon." Yeah. Oh, they do. They just need 18 points from 11 games to be champ. Six wins and, and their the, six Premier League game Davo is against. Manchester United. Yeah. Tasty. But they don't need, they won't need 18 points from 11 games, Rog. They yep. won't need that at all because no one else is going to win maximum points. Because they're all, fl- we're all flawed humans. I'm going to ask you this about Aguero, yeah. though. Who will come out at top in the scoring charts? Aguero, Salah, or Kane? Or put another way, if you were a team owner and you could buy any one of these, get me Aguero, get me Salah, get me Kane, which would you buy to lead the line of your team? It wouldn't be Aguero. And by the way, this is with massive respect to him as a footballer. And I've said this before on the pod, but when you watch that guy play live, you realise how physical he is. And he is a phenomenal, phenomenal footballer. And the number of years he's been knocking them in at the top level, respect. But it wouldn't be him, because I think that he is benefiting from playing on that amazing City team. Liverpool, you look at Salah, that speed surely would work for any team only the most insane manager or club would jettison a player as good as Mo Salah, Jose Mourinho and Chelsea. I mean, just <laughs> insane, insane, insane. That speed kills. He'd be good on anyone. Harry Kane. God, he does so much. He's such a natural goal scorer. He would help any team in football. By the way, whatever division they played in, whatever country they played in. But I'd have to say, and this is odd, because they're probably going to take away my passport. I'm going to say Salah. I think Salah is the player. Salah is the player that over the long haul, I'd have to say that. I feel like Salah, even when he stops scoring goals, Salah is going to contribute goals. He's going to contribute. I'd want Kane. Sell him for a ton to Real Madrid. Now, quickly. <laughs> you could sell Salah for a ton to Real Madrid. If it also. was, if it was f- Mary Kill. Yeah. Aguero, Salah, Kane. I'd marry Harry Kane. I think he's a decent man. I think it'd be, I'd be, I think he'd be lovely. I'd def marry Harry Kane. Yeah, I'd He'd marry Harry tea Kane. Night time before you both sat there and watched. Whoa. Um, what's I'm it? an Aguero. Aguero's more my type. Oh, you'd sit there, sit there with Harry Kane. You'd lie on the couch and you'd be like, "Let's yeah. watch Meet the Midwife." Yeah. Be like, "Wicked, I love yeah. Meet the Midwife." I mean, we could get really deep into it, probably more than you'd want to get into it, of of me breaking down Aguero and Mo Salah on the F kill. Uh, side of it but I think that it would have to be I'm going with Aguero Aguero's going to have him a one night stand Rog he is God, yeah. I'd got, I've got to tell you this I love I would try to overpower him though I love I love try I'm not going to be his Mate, bottom I'm not going to be his you bottom can I do I love Salah's curls yeah. I do I definitely have some serious rumpy bumpy <laughs> with Mo Salah I can see it I, I mate, let's put this way. By the I way, would love this to, pod. This pod has gone in all directions. I would love to make peace in the Middle East with Mo Salah. <laughs> <laughs> I would. I would. Oh. I definitely. I definitely marry Harry Kane. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. My only problem is, Coon. I couldn't kill him. Yeah. Couldn't kill him. Even no, if I wanted be able to. to. So I'd have to have Otamendi do it. <laughs> You'd miss. <laughs> um, okay, Rog, uh, enough of that. Newcastle won, Man United nil. A 65th minute left-footed lash from the omni-spiky Matt Ritchie. So spiky is the difference in this one. The loss means Man United slipped 16 points adrift of City and are looking over their shoulders at the chasing top four peloton. The Toon, meanwhile, jump up to 13th. Two points clear of the drop. 13th, two points clear of the drop. Insanity. Oh, I mean, this is, we've got to remind people, this is Newcastle. They had slipped into the relegation zone before kickoff after Huddersfield's shocking win. Newcastle, Newcastle. I mean, respect. They put a one hell of a rear guard action and then waited for Old or Chris Smalling to, in just true Chris Smalling fashion, I'm going to beat two men, lose control of the ball and then fling myself in a desperate dive to try and stop play, gave away a free kick, cue chaos in the United area. Chris Smalling loses his man, Matt Ritchie, who has not scored all season, but alone he swoops in and delivers the kill. 1-0 to Newcastle, but you kind of feel, David, we've seen this with United, not just Mourinho's United, but United over the past 10 years. They go a goal down, they find a way, don't they, to get back into the game. Yeah, but... Uh, find a way 
when you haul off your best footballer, which is Paul Pogba, which should be your best footballer. You've paid a fortune. Best in the monetary value, best in the profile, best in the hope and the expectation. One, that you've paid a fortune for him. Two, he's really good on Instagram, Rog. He's so good on on Instagram. And three, we have seen him in games this season. We have seen him in games this season be absolutely unplayable. Like, let's not ignore those. And that's part of the disappointment of Paul Pogba. he's He's the Arsenal of players that we keep hailing. He's turned the corner and then he doesn't turn the corner. They well, play. no, I don't think he's turned the corner. I've never said he's turned the corner. And I, then he hasn't found this position. I think he's just had some exceptional games and he's had other games who does. And so my assessment of him isn't that he's not good enough to play in the Premier League. My assessment of him is there's something mentally really wrong with Paul Pogba. He just doesn't show up every single game. And Mourinho, it was an odd decision to pull him off. You're 1-0 down. It's not like it was nil-nil and you're trying to find a way to find a goal. You're trying to find a way to break down this team. Afterwards, he explained it, that he needed somebody to play the simpler options, which is why he went for Carrick, who plays the simpler option. But for my view of that game, it wasn't about simple options. It was about just grit and determination in midfield and he needed to go and like outplay those people, outplay the middle, show more invention. They had so much possession, Rog. They just couldn't break down Newcastle. But tactically, he can't work out where to play Pogba if he plays him forward it just falls apart. If he plays him deep, he has no relationship with Matic and leaves him exposed. He's looked best on the left, but then you go out and you sign Alexis Sanchez. You've got to play him there. He's the most expensive jewel that has nowhere to go into the, the setting right now. And what was fascinating was Mourinho knew what he was doing yanking him off. Oh, totally. To, Absolutely. It was a statement. To yank him off, the man who's worth $130 million dollars, and by the way, if on the basis of this game, if Pogba is 130, John Joe Shelby will soon be the world's first $200 million player. Mm, but when you drop Bill Flyth, when you've dropped him for the last game and then you pull him, humiliate him in this one, that is long-term damage. For me, for a player whose decision-making mechanism already appears shot in a World Cup year, watching him slump on the bench I know, immediately. It's amazing. Those, those shots were phenomenal. Harrowing lifeless, but somehow still showing more life than he had in 65 minutes on the field were truly, truly haunting. Whatever it was, signal sent to the rest of the team. With Carrick uh, on the field, United did have chance after chance. Martial, a pair of misses. Mm. Respect to Newcastle's new Slovakian goalkeeper, Dubravka, a debutant, a loney. He was amazing. He was five He was amazing. amazing. And Alexis Sanchez, the face of frustration, the familiar face of frustration and disgust at the final whistle. Yeah. You can change your jersey, but the chip on that shoulder, it never fades away. Why if that man, David, Alexis Sanchez, is cursed like Jonah in the Bible and every team he goes to just becomes beset by storm until they throw Alexis Sanchez overboard and he ends up in the belly of a whale? It's my new working theory. I mean, look, the reality is... All of these teams are cursed versus Manchester City. And like one week we'll hell Tottenham and one week we'll hell Liverpool and one week we'll hell Arsenal. And one week we'll say, oh, Chelsea look like they might be back. And one week, you know what, you might hell Man United. They're still right there in the top four. They've ground out the results all season. Jose Mourinho has never won at Newcastle. He has never, ever won in his managerial career in England at Newcastle. The Premier League is good. It's tough. It's difficult. I don't think this is doom and gloom for Man United. I still think they'll finish top four. But I must say, Pogba is worrying. This is worrying, worrying, worrying. It's almost like, I think, this is my prediction. The second we get back into Champions League football, we'll see Pogba, like, raise his game again. Is that that's, he's going to get interested. That's what he's into. He's just a day up at St. James's Park. <laughs> no thanks. Please, God, David. Up north. I've, I've got to say, watching him suffer on that bench, it looked more like Rodger than Pogba. <laughs> he, and I, I, he wasn't wearing it. He was almost wearing a I, I want to give only love. Massive respect to Newcastle. Yeah. Team behind the scenes in turmoil at the board level. A team with football's most passionate and long-suffering fan base. They deserve days like Sunday. As does Rafa Benitez. He, he proper hates Jose Mourinho. Mm. And that hatred will make the first home win for the club <laughs> since October twice as sweet. Here's the question. At what point does the blame for all of this Trickle upwards, Davo. At what point does the blame for this not go to Pogba, Lukaku, Mkhitaryan, Martial or Luke Shaw? At what point does it become about Jose and his inability to find a system or his inability to fathom how Manchester United's immense behind-the-scenes 
strategy really I all mean, comes the, together. I mean, the blame's gone there already, Rog. I mean, you've been blaming him all season and most of media have been blaming him all season. The blame has already gone there. Jose Mourinho is taking it on the chin this season for their performance. And certainly because the champions are wearing sky blue and they're across the same city, it makes it rougher. What I would say in mitigation is that Man United, Arsenal, Chelsea, Liverpool, Tottenham are all around the same place. They're all around the same league of difference away from Man City. I think if Man United, you know, continue to play well in Champions League, I think if Man United finish second or third in top four, I think he'll be fine. He'll get another season. But you're right. These are a number of pieces that don't seem to fit together. They are pretty good defensively. They're hard to break down, hard to score against this team. Newcastle managed it from a set piece. It was worrying how nobody went to that ball. And very most un-Mourinho second season. Very, 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 very. Here's what I believe. Anyone who watched dominant Manchester United of recent history, the Sir Alex Manchester United, you'll remember what it was like to see this team just with confidence, with swagger, with belief. Even when they went behind, you knew they were still going to win. This United, star name still all over the field, it just feels mentally that they are made of lesser stuff. They're tense, they're nervy. They always seem to have the worst case, and I tweeted this, the worst case scenario front of mind. They seem to play with fear of making a mistake, fear of being Mourinho's next scapegoat, as opposed to that common belief that victory was theirs by divine right, which we used to see in the Sir Alex days. Yeah, although, I mean, a comparison to Sir Alex days isn't completely fair because that's back in the Premier League era where most teams didn't used to defend. Teams defend very well now. It's harder to break them down. I think you've got to compare it more to Mourinho's Chelsea teams that won the title. And so you look at how he did it by being physically harder than everybody else. It was the spine. Chelsea did score a lot of goals. Chelsea moved forward. They didn't park the bus to win the title. But they battered, battered, battered teams and what you had up front what you had in the spine of that team was vast experience what Man United really lack you use this expression when you talked about Arsenal no leaders who are the leaders on this team he had to sub in Michael Carrick to give some experience there's no leadership on that United team there's no brains at the heart of the operation like KDB there's no veterans there who you think are going to go and do it right now Man United fans are thinking oh McTominay 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 is going to be the answer Sir Alex Ferguson thinks McTominay is the future you need some experience to play well in the Premier League. We need League. Wayne Rooney back. Yeah, it's why I think Tottenham are really well poised. <laughs> it's why I think Tottenham are very, very well poised in the in the top four race because they've now got a bunch of Premier League experience throughout that team. I think they'll do very well. Another team with a lot of momentum, Rog Liverpool. They went to Southampton, beat them 2-0. Mo Salah set Firmino up for the first in just the sixth minute. Then... Bobby Chompers returned the favour, dropping a dime of epic proportions to Salah for the game second. What a goal. Liverpool up to third, two points off United. Southampton in the relegation zone, doing everything they can to make sure Liverpool don't buy any more of their players. Oh, what a game, which GFOP at Christopher Scang called El Transferico. Yeah. Oh, Liverpool squad, five former Southampton players in it. It was like watching a major league team play their triple a affiliate, a Major League Baseball, took the lead six minutes in. In true clock, breathtaking style, a move that went full length of the field from Carrius, rolling the ball out till it ended on the foot of Firmino, driving it home. Four players, seven touches, full field. Liverpool scouts no doubt were impressed by the way the Southampton centre-back, Hoyt, stumbled over the ball in yeah. the middle of the move and thought, hmm, he's got no balance or no confidence. <laughs> yeah. We should bid 30 million for him. Yeah. There you go. yeah, let's go in for him. Yeah, that was an amazing first goal. Liverpool were fantastic. You have to hand it to Southampton, though. A team in the now in the bottom three, how well they came back and how well they played against Liverpool. Yeah, they took the play well. I mean, the game did slip into a pattern of the Saints gamely kind of bringing it to Liverpool and Liverpool trying to poised to jump on the counter. Hard to tell to me if the Southampton players were motivated by a desire to not be shown up by their former teammates who ditched them, or if they're all individually stepping up to try and catch the Liverpool scout's eye and get their own move north. But Liverpool were always there to sting them on the counter, which they did again on the stroke of half-time. Oh, Firmino is just omnipresent, if you actually watch. that, He works so hard in all phases of play. And this one, what a touch, setting up Salah this time with a poetic backheel flick. And the Egyptian, he honestly could have had four or five again in this one. I mean, poetic backheel flick 
which is something which has not been... These, these are not like three words we've had to use very often in Premier League coverage over the last, whatever, 10 seasons, Rog. We've seen poetic backheel flicks set up goals in the Premier League this season like a number of times, and this was the, this was the best of all of them. The amount... I mean, you haven't seen a backheel flick go that powerfully, that far. It was a perfect diagonal ball, Rog. Oh, big tactical mistake, though, by Southampton. Not to play the pile of cash that they've amassed from Liverpool dealings in neat stacks of 20s <laughs> right across their goal line. Hundreds. Say, yeah, $230 million. Could have kept out a ton of goals, to be honest. Instead, they had to suffer through the indignity of Klopp running down the clock by subbing on old boys Adam Lalana and Dejan Lovren. Substitute banter trolling is the worst kind of trolling, David. Stoke City won, Brighton won. Goals from Do You Even Lift Bro, poster boy Shakiri <laughs> and Jose Izquierdo leave this one knotted at one despite an ending that looked like an indie remake of last week's Liverpool versus Tottenham game. It's a great game of football, Roger. It was it, and it ended in penalty bonkers madness. Deep into injury time, game 1 1, locked up. Stoke, slightly lucky penalty, which they win. Would have brought them a oh, a valuable three points with a price above rubies. But then former Real Madrid prospect Hesse, back in the Stoke squad, it should be said, after falling into Marcus's doghouse with ill discipline for the past two months. He went berserk. How would you describe it? He just went absolutely off on one. Well, he had, to, in his defence, he had completely won this penalty in that he'd completely hoodwinked the referee. <laughs> Stevens, who'd had an excellent game at this point, he'd barely any contact, there was nothing in it, and, and Hesse went down. So he had invented it out of nothing and felt, in his own Hesse you know, narrative of the clubs he's come from and, and what a great footballer he's been, that he deserved to go and take the penalty. And the contract rather stipulations, than, rather, the goals. Yeah, rather than the old fat guy, <laughs> Charlie Adam, the old who, who he can't understand a word he says, who seems to step up just to kick the ball well from corner kicks, set pieces and penalties. How on earth does Hesse process Charlie Adam? Who, like, he, who he probably only knows, not from training, but from be, seeing a man slumped at the club bar know. on a, a daily occasion. How does he even process that Hesse, the club Hesse, Hesse doesn't take the penalty? I Charlie Hesse, Adam. I Hesse take penalties, not yeah, the club drunk. I know, the fat guy. And so... He wanted it badly. There's he did throw a bit of a wobbler. There's always one guy who's in the club car park having pished his own jeans just slumped on his steering wheel. Are you going to let that guy take the penalty? Yeah. And you know what? You're making me see Hesse's. I never really I know, understood. I know. I saw his point. No, I, you I got saw his, his point. I, you've, you've won me over. <laughs> because what he essentially did, and he had to be restrained by his own teammates, he essentially iced his own kicker. He iced his own kicker. I think Charlie Adam is, is beyond icing. You do? I don't think he has sentient thoughts. Mmm, Labatt's ice. <laughs> That's yeah, where Charlie that's Adams' mind, mind yeah. goes to. Anyway, predictably, he missed the resulting shot, and somehow, after trundling like an oil tanker, which is actually not fair to oil. Oil tankers are faster yeah. than the way Charlie Adam ran toward to meet the rebound, which yeah. is still there for the taking. Yeah. I've never. I he think, didn't run. It was just his momentum from having taken the penalty. <laughs> Force <laughs> equals mass times acceleration. It was just a forward movement from taking the penalty. He missed that too. He didn't run. Stokes' third straight penalty miss. Yeah, I mean. And sincerely Although Lewis Dunk just battered him from behind. <laughs> that was, even Lewis Dunk after the game said, yeah, I was a little afraid that Why it was another penalty. Why did the ref penalty. not give another penalty? Just to troll Hesse. And you're not <laughs> taking this one either. By the way, he should have done it. <laughs> and then to have Hesse not to get it again. Oh, it was a sincerely astonishing relegation zone moment. It really yeah. was. The win would have pulled Stoke clear of the bottom three, but no. And I say, if Stoke go down by two points, they will remember this moment forever. Hesse's popularity. Oh, my God, as GFOP, Dr. KOK, I can't read the rest because it's too vulgar, tweeted, oh, one minute you're being called the next Ronaldo at Real Madrid, the next you're in Stoke on a cold, rainy afternoon fighting teammates for penalties yeah. as the stench of relegation grows ever more potent. Life, David, life. But we talk about the stench of relegation. You know, we talked already about how well Southampton played against Liverpool. This game, both teams, I mean, Brighton play really good football, Rog. They play really good football. Stevens, my God, what a good player he is. Oh, he's a good manager. manager. I mean, a really, really good football. Stoke, they have Shakiri up front, Rog. One of the best international footballers. I mean, he's a fantastic player. His goal was beautiful, Rog. You realise these are teams in the relegation zone is how good these teams are at the bottom of the a table. A beautiful segue to... Swansea 1, Burnley 0, Rog. 
double the AUs, double the fun. Second half sub Andre and his brother Jordan helped lift Carlos men to their third victory in four games. An 81st minute Keeson Young strike was the decider. Oh, Carvajal. Carvajal. How do I say it, David? Carvajal. <laughs> He's fast becoming not only a coveted Premier League managerial escape artist, uh-huh. but also one of the world's leading Zen thinkers. Huh. Here's this week's golden nugget of CC wisdom. He said after the win, when I arrived, we were in the deep ocean. We saw no fishes. Uh-huh. We won some games. Uh-huh. We put our noses out of the water. Yep. It was the first time we smelled fresh air. Now we've started to swim and we can look to the coast. Football managers do not wow. talk like this. He started off being outside and seeing the fishes, and yep. then he became the fishes. Yep. I mean, if he talks like this to the press, David, what must he be saying in this locker room? I mean, he is life-affirming. He is already a Welsh god. If he <laughs> succeeds, we know that it'll only last for 11 months, and this time next November he's going to be snuffed out by the, the Swansea board and replaced with, with another miracle pick. But my God, he's got a future writing children's books, which are going to be bestsellers. He's a remarkable communicator. Yeah, he's a king of anthropomorphism. We Roger. saw no fishes. With fishes. Amazing what he's done. I really want to find him, Robbie Musto. When he was appointed manager of Swansea, Robbie Musto went on a, his own wobbler, his own Hesse-style wobbly about <laughs> uh, why they'd appointed him manager. We've just got to, pull, we've got to get Robbie Musto on the pod and we've got to play it Robbie for him. Robbie Musto saw no fishes. He will have a sense of humour about it. Uh, Huddersfield for... Bournemouth won Rog. The other Rog Derby sees the Terriers smash four past the Mercurial Cherries. By the way, the Cherries have just beaten Chelsea. The win puts Huddersfield on 27 points, one clear off the drop zone. Bournemouth are in 10th place, but still five points from the drop zone. Oh, my God. This is like two beautiful cardigans playing against each other. (laughs) Two of the cuddliest teams in the Premier League. Reality enhanced by the fact that they both played each other in every tier of English football. Product of both teams dizzying, Mm. heroic rises. Killer stat, that. And after five straight losses, Huddersfield dragged themselves out of the relegation zone, Wizards, by scoring more goals in this one game than they had in their previous eight combined. Wow. To Wizards. Amazing stuff, Rog. West Ham 2, Watford nil the Boogie Woogie Bugle Moyes and his Irons get a vital three points behind East London's favourite Mexican-Austrian connection, Javier Hernandez and Marco Anatovic, each of whom scored in this one. Both teams are on 30 points, just four points from the drop. Everton, Rog, three Crystal Palace won a convincing win for your side, Rod. They went three up thanks to goals from Goofy Dickerson, Omar Nias, <sighs> and Tom Davies. Also no relation. A very good week for the Davis family in the Premier League, though. Palace pulled one back via a Luka Milivojevic penalty, Rod. But it's not enough to squash the positivity. We're sure you felt both pre and post game. Yeah, you can't spell happiness dyslexically without Nias. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be the worst T-shirt ever. Here's what I've come to realise, David. Big Sam, he loves the fear and the feces flinging of the relegation battle. It's all he loves. And he'd already dragged Everton out, probably too quickly for his liking, taking us out. He wanted back in. He wanted back in. He's like... He'd taken us out of the relegation zone. He got us to mid-table obscurity. Doesn't doesn't want to be there, does he? Why would you be mid-table obscurity when you know nobody's hero? All you can get is crap for just having a boring season. Big Sam's made our club boring. No, Big Sam, to be a hero, has to, by definition. He's an escapologist, Yeah, He needs to be able to escape from the drop. Exactly. So he said, why did he win this weekend against Palace? Because we were worried again. We were back oh, in it. We are starting to wobble a bit. Club kind of falling apart, symbolised by the fact that even when we're 3-0 up, and he mm. puts on Morgan Schneiderlin, a symbol of how poor Everton have been, like, this is a player that just has trundled around the field, just not tried, couldn't give two craps. Clearly, he's a symbol of what a disaster of dashed hope and terrible planning this campaign has been. Even when we were 3-0 up, the whole of Goodison Park just started booing both manager and player. Because we are big picture. We're not going to get sucked into it. Three points, we're back. No, we're crap. This is crap. And that was the true test. But Big Sam, he doesn't want to be mid-table and crap. He wants to take us back down to bring us back up like a, co- a boxer so confident in his ability. He's saying, punch me flush on the chin. Punch me. Oh, that feels so good. So he lets wobble back into it, only to show us that he can escape death again. He is, Davo. He's a thrill seeker. What did he say? Escapologist. He's, yeah. he's a self-harmer. <laughs> he's a pie-loving sadomasochist. And he's an awful man to have his hands all over the team. 
that you love, Dave. I will say, poor Palace, so many injuries right now. So many injuries. They had some chances in this game, Rog. Very excited about their new Norwegian striker. He could be Danish, could be Norwegian. I'm not sure he's from somewhere up there. <laughs> Sounds like a some great dinner yet with Steve Parrish some reading scandy. lines. But he's a... Yeah, Palace had some chances, Rog, yeah. in this one. But yeah. um, For the next five games yeah. against Spurs, United, Chelsea and Liverpool... Oh, come on, Palace. Togger, Rog. No Togger scores yet for this week because Chelsea haven't played yet. But shout out lost to yet. Jimmy B from Long Island for his win in Week 25. Jimmy, a massive Bournemouth fan, wrote to tell us that he thought we didn't name-check him out of spite for Bournemouth beating Chelsea. Jimmy, if we didn't mention fans of teams that beat Everton, Chelsea or Ipswich this year, <laughs> we'd never do this segment. Sorry, we missed you first go around. Uh, in the USSF presidential election, Insert eagle scream here. The United States Soccer Federation has a new president, Rog, USSF number two, Carlos Rodero, will take over for his boss, Sunil Galati, after being elected Saturday at the organization's National Council meeting in Orlando. Cordero is U.S. Soccer's current vice president. Oh, so he's been around U.S. Soccer for quite a long time. A Goldman Sachs investment banker who already represents U.S. Soccer on the CONCACAF Council and FIFA stakeholders committee is this a case of meet the new boss same as the old boss rog no it sounds like a real change david i know an agent of change <laughs> i don't know it's weird let's be fair yeah it's too early to tell mm. i will say all those calls from the soccer bubble for sweeping change they were very loud but in reality were they ever going to lead to change i mean the u.s soccer national council it's essentially like the chicago political machine is a maze of self-interest designed to maintain the status quo, made up of just over 500 stakeholders, youth, adult leagues, athletes, board members. What was fascinating, Cordero flew completely below the radar as many of the candidates were making a ton of noise. He just quietly worked the reins of power, which he knew from being elected vice president, while Eric Winalda and Kyle Martino made a huge amount of noise. The, the staggering thing, the five change candidates together didn't amount to 50% of the vote needed to win. It is going to be interesting to see how engaged Eric Winalda and Kyle Martino uh, will remain. The shot was Kathy Carter, Don Garber, Sunil Galati's hand-picked candidate that she didn't win. And the Athletes' Council were ultimately the kingmakers. They have 20% of the vote delivered as a block. Uh, and after long deliberations the night before, still unknown, still totally unknown, David, what was promised to them in these meetings, they decided to back Cordero. And the story of what was promised to the Athletes' Council will ultimately be the story of this election. I want you to go deep and uh, investigate this journalistically, Roger. I can't will, wait to hear. I will say one thing about it, Dave. If you want to gain a sense of the kind of challenges Cordero now faces, just dig up his first tweet sent out upon victory and then read the responses which greeted it, which is an indicator to me of the new reality in which he operates. And I think that's what's most fascinating about this whole election. It was the first contested one in forever, and the winner, to me, is less significant than the fact that U.S. fan culture will not be kept at arm's length anymore. This job is not going to be played out in the shadows any longer. There's scrutiny. There's an empowered fan base who care. They are watching every move. In a way, Sunil's style of operating completely in the shadows now seems completely naive and unsustainable after that night of humiliation in Trinidad and Tobago. If the women win the World Cup in 2019, please God, Cadere is going to seem like a genius. If the women do not win the World Cup, oh, buckle up, David. We did ask over Twitter how you would change the US soccer presidential vote system to make it more representative. My favourite response, at iHeathbar. Candidates should do the original MLS shootout rules. Five seconds from midfield to beat Tony Miola in goal. <laughs> Winner take all. <laughs> God, I still miss the shootout. Still yeah. miss it. And by the way, if... None of them score. Miola automatically becomes president. <laughs> That's a good That'd idea. Be amazing. He'd be a great president. Uh, okay, Rog, your FA Cup weekend looks like this. It starts Friday at 3 p.m. with Chelsea taking on Hull City. Saturday at 12.30, Huddersfield hosts Man United. Both those games on FS2. Then Sunday at 11 a.m., it's Rochdale hosting Tottenham at 11 a.m. Eastern time on FS2. One, there are many ways to connect to us, including our now extinct Amazon Emporium. It's transformed, Rog, into the Men in Blazers bald mark. What are you putting in the bald mark this week? A book. Oh, Three Floors Up by Eshkol Nevo. It is a novel, three interlocking novellas to be specific. Three apartments in the same building, 
three different families, three different stages of life, three different predicaments. And it lets the author explore the challenges, roles, fears inherent in parenting. It's a haunting book. It's occasionally dark. It's incredibly human. And what I love about it was the questions it forces you to think through about your own life, critical ones. They stay with you long after the quick read is bookshelved. Hard, philosophical questions that are normally only raised during a drink with Arsene Wenger of what I imagine that drink would be like. Fascinating, Rog. Uh, my bald mark item this week, something a little different. There's a show in Britain called Live Letters, Rog. It's run by one of my oldest mates, Jamie Bing, who I went to university with. He became a brilliant publisher, revolutionary radical British publisher at Canongate. Um, the show Live Letters is brilliant. It's a variety of performers. It's amazing. I mean, Academy Award winners, brilliant top actors, uh, reading a collection of letters, famous historical letters, written by uh, people from the past, Rog, some from the present, but some political, some artistic, some entertainment. So think correspondence between Kipling, uh, Rudyard, John Kipling, and Colonel Lionel Charles Dunsterville, read by Ben Kingsley and Ferdinand Kingsley. What? Monday, it's that sort of stuff, Rog. Your kind of stuff. It's high-level literary stuff, Rog. Monday, they're doing a show. So they've done this very successfully in London, in Dublin. Uh, I think sells in several out in countries. A heartbeat, sells out in a heartbeat. They're doing one in Los Angeles, Monday, February 26th. They're bringing the show to America for the first time. It's happening at the Ace Hotel in L.A. So special shout-out, L.A. SoCal GFOPs. Uh, all the profits go to two great charities, eight charities, 826LA, a non-profit that helps kids with creative writing, and Women for Women, an organization that supports women who've survived wars, Rog. GFOPs in SoCal. It's an amazing show founded by my mate, Jamie Bing. Tickets are on sale now. You can buy them by going to meninblazers.com, clicking on the Bald Mart tab, and we've put a link right up there. It's at the Ace Hotel, Roger. It's the Ace Theatre. It's a theatre, fantastic theatre in downtown Beautiful. Los Angeles. We should play that, We should play it at some point, Roger. It's fantastic. Okay, uh, follow us on Twitter, at Men in Blazers, at MC Davis, at Roger Bennett, on Instagram, at Men in Blazers, at Embassy underscore Davis, on Facebook, Men in Blazers. You can always send your ravens to the crap part of Soho. You can always email us at meninblazers at gmail.com. Vendorpunk, Roger. Water pig! Who wants to sex my tomboy? I like snacks. Balls win, balls win. Take that, Gloria! Balls lose. To tweet. Abrogado, rock on, mate. Kung Fu fight in America. Love you, Dave. Love you, Rog. I'm going to make peace in the Middle East with Mo Salah. <laughs>